Welcome to the Sky Pipe All Day Podcast. Late to you, join alongside me and my two co-hosts, William James and Nathan Amston. What's going on, guys? Not much. Well, after the debacle it took me to get here, I have never been happier to record a podcast. So I, I am very excited. Yeah, I should probably mention before we actually really start this podcast, uh, we did record one earlier this week. Uh, unfortunately, we have learned that um, the format we have been using for recording podcasts is just not very friendly to <laughs> us at all. So we're trying something a little bit new this time around. So hopefully this works. We don't have to delete it all. Um, but with that being said, you know, of course, I guess the last, since we last actually were on a podcast, we are previewing the Washington football team game. Of course, Cincinnati does fall in that game 17 to 13. I would like to go ahead and say on the podcast, my good friend, uh, Eric, uh, told me that, uh, I actually got the score right 17 to 13. I just flipped it. So the Bengals, uh, actually lost instead of one. But, um, with that being said, I, you know, there's a lot to get to. And, um, I think first things first at this point is talking about Joe Burrow and what's happened. Uh, with him from this point on, of course, he was not playing in a week two game, but we did just get confirmation from Zach Taylor uh, a couple of days ago at the time of this podcast dropping that Joe Burrow will be playing in week three. What are you guys' thoughts on the move? Do you guys think it's a good idea? I know I mentioned last time we talked about this that I did like the idea of playing Burrow a couple of snaps in the preseason game. What are you guys' thoughts? Um. Well, if Joe himself, he said that he wanted – he wanted to play preseason. He wanted to be able to get hit. He wanted to be able to experience a game feel before actually having to be thrown out in week one and have to, you know, get back into the swing of things there. Because, you know, in practice and training camp, obviously every team, not just Mingles, every team takes precautions whenever, you know, protects the quarterback in camp. So the quarterback is never... There's no, they're never really in a fully game-like situation in practices and stuff. The only way to do that is in preseason, and well, not preseason, in games. And he has a chance to get in a game this preseason. Maybe he'll play like one drive. Hopefully, hopefully not that much more. Um, because again, it is just a pointless game. Um, but I think it's a good idea to get him some action, get him back into the swing of things. Especially after a long time off and an injury he had to come back from. From all I've read on, you know, Bengals.com, all that good stuff, I feel like this is the game that he was always going to play. I will admit, from when we first talked about it, I was like, no, don't play him. It's fine. He can wait. Since then, I have grown to the idea of him playing a drive. I think two things went into this. First of all, it's a Sunday home game. Our first game is a Sunday home game. This is the closest Burrow's going to get this preseason to, like, a a game environment for week one, I guess you can call it. And secondly, I think strength of opponent went into play. Because, again, look at the defensive lines. Tampa's top five, in my opinion. Washington, I think, is top one. Miami, you know, I look at the Dolphins, I'm not like, you know, their defensive line really concerns me. Because it doesn't. I think out of those three teams... You had the best chance of, you know, not Burrow really getting hit like that against Miami. So I think all that comes into play. And Zach says, you know, Burrow lobbying doesn't have a effect on it. That's a lie. That's a complete lie. If Burrow didn't want to play, he wouldn't play. He has convinced Zach to let him play. 
I really don't see a scenario where, where any player would not want to play a game, right? Like, I, I would imagine every player would want to, but I, I certainly think Burrow did push it uh, probably more than the average player, and that's probably why Zach Taylor did choose to to play him because earlier this season, you know, Zach Taylor did say that he did not plan on playing Burrow at all this preseason. So something obviously changed in that process, and I think Burrow was a big part of that because he really wanted to play the extra snaps. And I do really like that idea because, you know, he's had – moments in this uh, training camp where he has struggled at times. And I think people um, have been a little bit worried. And I think he has done a great job of um, trying to get back to his old form. And I think now that he's finally starting to get back there, he wants to go in a game time scene just to make sure he's all ready for week one. And I really like the idea that he is set on making sure he is good for week one because he does not want to hold back this team in any way. And I love that mentality for any quarterback in the NFL. That's what you want in a guy, and Joe Burrow is bringing that to the team. So I'm very confident that he, if he can do good this preseason week one, if he can stay away from any injuries and just have a, a quick, good couple, a drive maybe two, um, hopefully he will be completely ready for the week one in the game plan, and hopefully he can go into the Vikings game and be ready. Uh, so I'm very happy with this idea. I think it is the right move, especially if Burrow does want it, because I, I just think getting him into a game environment is always good. And, of course, with this being a Week 3 game, keep in mind the Dolphins probably won't be playing a lot of defensive players anyway. So you're really minimizing a lot of risks here in playing Joe Burrow and just trying him out. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy. And Brian, Brian Flores did actually take a little bit of a shot at the Bengals, kind of implying that Joe Burrow wasn't ready uh, yet. But, I, you know, I definitely disagree. I, I do think, you know, this is Burrow's time. If he's going to play Week 1, it makes a lot of sense to just think, let him go out and, and try in a preseason game where he's playing his basically backups uh, for the first drive. So I, I'm not complaining one bit for this move. I think it, it's a good idea. But I, th- I think another guy that might end up possibly playing, I'm not entirely sure if he is or not. I know the first-team offensive line is playing with Burrow. Um, I'm not sure Jamar Chase is yet, but uh, I, I do think it's important to recognize that Chase did have those two drops, against, or excuse me, three drops against Washington, and has been struggling with drops quite a bit. Uh, throughout training camp, and it's kind of become a big story around um, Bengals media, I guess. And, and I think that now he's starting to get a little bit better. We, we've seen him kind of come back these last couple of camps and have a couple of really good games. What's your guys' thoughts on Chase's up and down training camp, and you guys think it is necessary for him to get a couple of receptions possibly in this Week 3 preseason game? I think the uh, the whole idea of him having drops drop issues is massively overstated mainly by national media, not by, like, beat reporters or anything. Because, you know, prior to the Washington game, had maybe a handful handful of drops, maybe three all-training camp and all-OTA. Maybe, well, not necessarily exactly three, but he had a small, low number. Just a handful. He had the three in the Washington game, and on Sunday he had... He was, he was, or was it Saturday? It was either Sunday, no, it was Sunday. Was, did we have, I don't know. The next practice. You think it was Monday. What was it, Von Belpig? You think it was Monday. Whatever it was, the next practice after Washington. Yeah, his drop issues continued. He had pretty much the majority of his targets he dropped. Um, the next day, I think it happened a little bit longer. And after that, he was catching everything. He's the Jamar Chase we know. He just had a bad game against Washington, got in his head a little bit, and practice, and then got back to where he was. I think it's being massively overstated by media, and especially mass media, I mean, national media, 
also mass media, you know, log into Instagram, go to explore, you'll see somebody making fun of the drops. I think it's overstated. People are acting like, I don't know, like Ross or something, which is just not true. You had a bad, not even a bad, bad quarter. It's preseason. He only played a quarter. Had a bad quarter, got in his head for like two practices, and was back to normal. It, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to say it should be expected for him to have these drop issues because you don't draft a receiver at five and expect him to have drop issues. But this isn't a normal circumstance, all right? We're in a pandemic. He took a whole year off of, you know, like real football games. To, for, for Wow, that was a stutter. For inconsistency with the hands or whatever to show up, you kind of expect that to happen. You know, you look at all these guys that took a year off. Um, off the top of my head, Chase took a year off. Two, two Atwell from Louisville took a year off. Sewell took a year off. I think Terrace Marshall took the year off. Um, Chase's LSU teammate. A lot of guys took the year off. Marshall played in 2020. Uh, Marshall did play. Oh well, not 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 the best start here, but my point is that guys in general that didn't play, you know, in most of 2020, all 2020 or whatever. These guys are going to have inconsistency issues. It's going to happen up and down the board. Now, why Chase is getting more criticism than everybody else? He's in Cincinnati. Let's not be around the bush here. I know it. We all know it. But I think he'll be fine at the end of the day. I mean, he, he's just so talented. The talent's not the problem. After the uh, Monday debacle where he dropped the pig in the Von Bell's hands and all that, all we've read is good stuff about him. The Jamal Chase show and, uh, you know, this and that about how He's beat Cheeto, and I saw um, a story where he beat Mike Hilton deep, and just all that. So I think he'll be fine. I think this is being massively overblown, like Nathan said. I have never seen players get more heavily judged off of two pieces of games than Jamar Chase. I mean, it, it's getting ridiculous. I, I think all of this is just stemming from the unpopular idea of drafting Jamar Chase over Pene Sewell at pick five. I think all of a sudden everyone wants to hold a, a bigger magnifying glass towards Chase, and the moment he starts making mistakes, they're like, oh, see, it was the wrong pick, it was the wrong pick, yeah. see? They're just, they're just trying to justify it. I mean, justify their hate towards Chase, justify so- themselves preferring Sewell. They want to make themselves seem right, that they that they – said that Sewell was the right pick. And I just see it, it just as, in general, I just think it's it's very hypocritical just to base all of your scouting on an offseason because, you know, I think 99% of the people who are making fun of Chase right now probably had him as a wide receiver one in this class. Everyone knew and recognized he was one of the best receivers in this class. And all of a sudden they're saying he's a bust just because they wanted Panay Sewell drafted over Jamar Chase. I just think it's a very... It's, it's 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 very unnecessary, and I think just downright stupid on, on the part of a lot of the people out there who are making fun of Jamar Chase right now. I, I just think that the, this whole entire idea that the Bengals are neglecting Joe Burrow and and choosing to hurt him is just it, it's just dumb, and they're going to find whatever they can to to try to prove that because they think they're a failing franchise, and Joe Burrow's a great quarterback being quote unquote ruined right now in Cincinnati. I, I just think it's stupid. It's all about storylines. I don't agree with it at all. Um, and I think Jamar Chase will be fine. I agree with you guys. I, I think that this is a guy who 
last played as a sophomore in college. Keep that in mind. That was the last time he had played. He was a sophomore in college. He was 19 years old, basically. He's an extremely young guy, uh, or 20 years old at the time, I guess. Uh, he's an extremely young player, and he's in the NFL for the first time. You know, he's just getting used to all of this. This was his first real chance at getting targets in an NFL game. You cannot expect a guy who had missed an entire year and a half, basically, to a football to immediately come back and be amazing, right? And Panay, we're seeing it to Panay Sewell, too. Panay Sewell has struggled as well. It's not just Jamar Chase who's struggling. We, we have seen that these guys who have not played all year uh, are struggling. They're just getting used to getting back into game form. This does not mean one bit that they are bad players. I think that's just that is really just jumping to the gun. This is preseason. They're going to be fine. Just give them some time. If Jamar Chase ends up having 16-plus drops at the end of this season, maybe it's time to start worrying because that is something that he's going to have to fix for sure in the following years. But this is preseason. We, we, we see guys that are going off. John Ross was like a preseason goat, right? And he became a nobody really during the regular season. Just because a player is performing bad or good in the preseason does not determine how well they're going to play during the regular season one bit. So I'm not worried at all about Jamar Chase. I think he can be a fine wide receiver. He's got all the capabilities. He is the most, uh, most athletic guy wide receiver on our roster right now. I think he probably has one of the best hands on the roster. Um, you could argue between a lot of other guys as well, but he has very sure hands, very good hands. He's probably the fastest guy wide receiver on the roster right now, probably the best deep threat. There's a lot to his game that can be very, very good for Cincinnati. And I think once Joe Burrow and Jamari Chase can get their connection back and they can get used to each other again, I think they're going to be in really good shape for the following season. So I totally agree with you guys. I think Jamar Chase is going to be fine. I am really excited to see what he can do. And I, I think this preseason week three game, hopefully we can see a little bit of what happens just so we can shut up all the media people who are just saying, oh, he's a bust. It's a terrible pick because saying that in a week two preseason game is just downright stupid. Yeah, I going to say is Browns were 4-0 the year they went 0-16. 4-0 in the preseason, 0-16 when it actually counted. If that doesn't tell you preseason doesn't matter, I don't know what will. Yeah, I feel like if you aren't a Bengals fan, which if you're not a Bengals fan listening to this, we appreciate it. Um, I don't know why you're here, but thank you for being here and listening. Um, this goes so far beyond Chase and Sewell. Because, first of all, Miami did the exact same thing, taking Waddle over school. Spoiler alert, guys. Miami's line sucks, too. All right, Miami's line is putrid. I think they have a worse line than we do this season. And you don't hear a peep about it. And it's not like, I don't know, has Waddle even played in the preseason? He didn't know. He did play. He's playing, right? Waddle's playing. Uh, I think so. I haven't really paid much attention I, to I, it. But, I don't like, know. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like Waddle's exactly breaking records and nothing like that in the preseason either. Like, he's not, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. So, it's just, and it bothers me so much because it's like the national perception, right? Like, I know my team, so I don't really care what somebody that doesn't know my team has to say. But, like, let's say, I don't know, I'm a Rams fan, right? And I'm not paying attention to the Bengals because I'm a Rams fan, you know what I'm saying? What do the Bengals have to do with me? So, when all you read is these national media members who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about and an absolute bias against the Bengals, just like the Hall of Fame voters, which is a whole other subject. They're saying, oh, you know, Chase this, and the Bengals neglecting Burrow's knee, and 
yada, 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 the Bengals are the worst thing to ever exist, and they're going to fail as an organization, blah, blah, blah. That's your perception. So, you know, when we're trying to have actual conversations with fans of other teams, and we're saying, you know, we think the Bengals can do this, and they think that's crazy, like, because all they hear is, you know, how we've done nothing for Burrow and this and that. And it's just really frustrating because it goes so far beyond chasing Sewell. This has been going on for years between the Hall of Fame voting. And it's just really frustrating. Piggybacking on what you said about uh, Waddle, the Steelers did the exact same thing, too. They also had offensive line issues, and they took Najee. The difference is Bengals and the Dolphins both got elite receivers, elite playmakers. They... To a degree, but even the, the Dolphins too, even though we both did the same thing and we both got elite playmakers and both elite wide receivers. So even no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, if you think Chase was the right move or Sewell was the right move, either way, both our teams got elite playmakers and definitely have compensation, whereas the Steelers... They have a running back. They passed up on the line for the least useful position on the starting team. It's it just, you look at the preseason right now, their team, their offensive line is struggling. And then you compare it to ours, which is supposed to be devil's worst creation of how terrible it is. And we're going to, we're going to kill Joe Burrow because how awful this line is, absolute neglect. We should be sued for neglect. But our line hasn't allowed a single sack. Our starting, our first string and second string have not allowed a sack. Steelers, on the other hand, I don't know the stat line, but I, I've seen the preseason games. They're, they're deep, they're, they're like, line is strong. They've had a couple standouts. Like, it's been pretty good for them. Um, the, the rookie, Dan Moore, I think, he's been pretty good, too. But as a whole, their offensive line has been struggling. And they their compensation for passing on linemen is a running back. Our compensation for passing on Sewell, even though it was the right, well, both moves are the right moves. Our compensation for passing on Sewell is one of the, the greatest college wide receivers in the last 20 years. Years. Let me throw some stats at you real quick. Jalen Waddle this preseason, three receptions, 21 yards. J- Devontae Smith stats this preseason, two receptions, 19 yards. Jamar Chase stats this season, this preseason, one reception, 16 yards. I mean, like, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, you're, one, one's being called a bust, the other two are being called future wide receiver ones for teams. Right, like this is, I mean, there's no reason to jump to conclusions this early in a preseason game. And, and as you already mentioned, Cincinnati's offensive line, I think that everyone's complaining about, has allowed zero sacks this season. So if you're basing Jamar Chase's struggles off of stats and drops, why are you not acknowledging the fact that Cincinnati's offensive line has been fantastic this year? It's just a, it's a double standard. And, and I think that for any Bengals fan worried about Jamar Chase, don't be, because he's going to be fine. You're going to have, you're going to have I- a good wide receiver. I agree. I just, I completely agree with that. The number one complaint, complaint about Chase is like when we drafted him from day one, when we dropped 
the number one complaint from outside band fans that really preferred Sewell over Chase, the number one complaint was that it was nothing about Chase. It wasn't that he did this bad or that bad or he had some major red flag in college. He had some injury issues. None of that had to do with Chase. The number one reason why people do not like the Chase pick is because we're apparently neglecting the line and making the line terrible. And then in the preseason, our line doesn't allow a single sack, does great, but somehow we still have reason to complain. It just doesn't make sense. You're flip-flopping. You're finding a reason to be that You're just... The arguments that have been put up against Chase have just not, they haven't been reasonable. They haven't been, they haven't stacked up the course of time. And instead of accept, instead of realizing, realizing that they're at fault, instead of people realizing, hey, maybe this offensive line did actually improve. Maybe Chase wasn't some awful pick that's neglecting line. Maybe there actually is improvement. Instead of admitting that, they're just going to find something to complain about Chase. Chase had three drops. Guess who else had three drops? Savannah Smith. Have you have you heard? Have either of you heard in the last week anybody complaining about those three drops? I ask you right now. For Devontae Smith, absolutely not. Nope, not a thing. And now let me ask: How many times have you seen someone complain about Jamar Chase's drops? I, I literally go on Twitter and, and read at least 15 tweets every day about it. If it's will? semi close to the Bengals, the comments are just, oh, Jamar Chase drop, oh, I'm so funny. Now let me remind you, they both have their drops. It, it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to move on because we just covered 20 minutes of Jamar Chase, which is actually a lot better than before because we didn't cover at all about Jamar Chase really with the drops. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. And we're going to see hopefully week three with Joe Burrow and, and a couple of drives. Hopefully uh, hopefully we see a bounce back from Chase and, and we come for all the fans and, and people who are trying to hate on Jamar Chase. But, um, like I said, let's go ahead and move on real quick. And Let's talk about uh, a couple of injuries that have gone around. Of course, um, I think if you are following our podcast, you probably already have already heard from us on our Instagram. Uh, Joseph Osai with his meniscus injury will be having surgery and is likely to be out for the season. It's not entirely guaranteed yet. There's still an underrated chance to try to sneak him onto the roster and throw him on the IR during the season. Um, but uh, it looks like the safe bet is to say that he might be out for the majority or the entire season. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on, on the injury? I know it's a huge blow to the team. How do you guys think they're going to try to, uh, I guess, relieve this this issue with with jo- Joseph Osai? Firstly, I want to say, uh, you know, I just want to address something. I know that, um, you know, when the when the injury first was, you know, talked about, that you'd have to get a surgery that could result in missing the season. You know, everybody's first thought was, where did this come from? I'm so confused. People still are confused. So if you're listening to this now, to clear that up, what happened is with his wrist injury, after the game, you know, he was with trainers. He was getting his wrist checked out. He also had knee pain, um, which also came from that Tampa game. So while he was getting his wrist checked out, 
he also had his knee checked out. And that's when they found out that he had the meniscus damage and he would need the surgery. It's not, it wasn't a mistake. Nobody, I mean, it wasn't like they thought it was wrist and like, hey, this isn't wrist. This is a knee. Whoops. That the, the wrist is still broken. It's not a, like we were lied to or anything. It's just another thing that came up with it. So just to clear that up. And as for replacing him, we, we, we kind of can't. When you look at the roster, we're set up with Hendrickson and then Hubbard. And then we were supposed to have a size like the, the pass rushing specialist. He was going to be basically what Carl Lawson was for the first three years of his career for us. He was going to come in on third downs, third and longs, and just just rush the passer. And that that's pretty much it. He's the bit, he I don't know. I I'd say he's the best pure pass rusher, but you know, Hendrickson's pretty I don't I think it's a lot closer than most people think between Hendrickson and uh Osai's pure pass rusher. Um I'd say Hendrickson does have the edge, but it is closer than most people think. But anyways, back to what I'm saying. Um you know, you have Hendrickson, Hubbard, and then you have your passive specialist in Osai. And then without Osai, now we need a new pass rushing specialist. That's not Khalid Kareem. That's not Imani Bledsoe. You, I don't even think Imani will make the roster. Same with Noah Spence. I don't think he'll make the roster. He's also not a pass rushing specialist. So you're down to pretty much Darius Hodge um, and Cam Sample. Cam, he's kind of like, he's, he's, he's basically Hubbard, but like the inverse of Hubbard. Hubbard's an edge who can kick inside at five tech, whereas Sample's more five tech that can kick outside edge. So I think you'll see a pretty even split between Sample and Hodge, but that won't be able to replace what we were expecting from Osai. That'll hopefully be able to fill the void not all the way because we can't, but a grand majority of that void we're hoping to be filled by Hodge and Sample. Well, like Nathan said, there is no replacing Hodge in terms of what he does. Like he said, um, who did, did I say, did I say Hodge? I said Hodge, didn't I? Yes. Uh, of course. Um, there's no replacing Osai. Like Nathan said, we have other edge guys like Sample and Hodge, but they don't do what Osai does, especially to the level that he does it. So there is no replacing Osai. You just kind of got to plug and play and see what happens. Um, I actually did my research, believe it or not, when this news broke. We have not had a draft class with healthy rookie seasons. And when I say healthy, I, I don't mean like, oh, they missed a game or two, because it's football. That happens to every draft class or every team. I mean, like, major, like, season-ending injuries. We have not had a class with a fully healthy rookie year, season-ending injury-free since 2011. That just doesn't happen. I mean, that's the Bengals in a nutshell for you. But, I mean, had this, you know, had this happen, you know, like, maybe at the start of camp or whatever, maybe you can find a guy that can kind of do it like he can. But at this stage in the offseason, it's just not going to happen. So, Cam Sample isn't Osai. Osai is better than Sample. I, I don't think it's very close either. Hodge is also 
not better than Osai. I mean, look, we have to keep in mind with Hodge. I feel like people forget this. He is an undrafted rookie, okay? We drafted Osai in the third round, which I was shocked he was there in the third round. We're not getting that production out of Hodge's sample. It just isn't going to happen. So, while it's a big blow, I think if we just let him take his time getting back, which I think we will, I don't think we're going to rush him, I think he'll be just fine. You know, meniscus and knee stuff is always just something you got to watch out for because football, it just tends to happen with your knees. You earn them once. They just don't stop. But I think if we just let him take his time, let him get back, slow, all that good stuff, he'll be back in, well, he'll be, not in no time, but he'll be back fine. A couple of other important injuries that we probably need to discuss. Uh, Cam Sample did have a shoulder injury in week two. Uh, as Nathan mentioned, he's probably going to be one of the guys who takes a primary amount of snaps uh, to replace Joseph Osai. Uh, Sample is now back to practice. The shoulder injury was day-to-day. He will be okay. And I think another important injury that we might need to discuss a little bit more is Trey Waynes, who did injure his right hamstring uh, during practice as well a couple of days ago. Uh, it is believed to be a tweak, quote-unquote. I'm not too sure what that means. If it's a, a partial tear, if it's – I'm not too sure – um, but I, I do think they expect Trey Wayne to possibly have a chance of being back week one. He might be questionable for game time. He he will certainly be out in the preseason week three. Uh, Zach Taylor did say that all the defensive starters will be sitting. Um, so I, I, I believe that he is, you know, he's 100% getting his rest week three, but whether or not he plays week one is still unknown. And I think that will be a pretty important loss for Cincinnati if Trey Wayne is not able to play. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just rough with Waynes. We we signed him for three years. First year, he didn't play any of it. Second year, he's only at most probably going to miss one game, maybe two. We still have no clue what the severity is. We don't know what it is. So, obviously, we don't know the severity. Like you said, all that's been reported, it's, is is that it's a tweak. Beyond that, we really do not know anything. Um, uh, but it's just, you know, so far, we, we there's no reason to believe he's out for the season or anything. Obviously, that's, that's not what's happening, but it's, it's just, it's just like a feeling of PTSD, you know, after... After signing him to such a big contract last year, and then he plays nothing, it's just, uh, it's 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 just a feeling that we get every year. I feel like with with all our players, we always have some some injury that's just annoyingly annoyingly t- like the timing of it. It's just it's just painful. But anyways, with with Wayne specifically, like. In terms of um, you know the the impact um, going into the season, a lot of people were expecting Waynes to be like you know the cornerback one because he's got the size, he's got much more of the the cornerback one type of size, and he's got she's got that frame. Whereas Chidobe Chidobe doesn't have that. You know he's a bit smaller, but um. You know, every, everyone was kind of expecting, well, not everyone, the majority of people were just kind of expecting to take over that number one corner spot. 
not necessarily shadowing receivers, but just being the primary corner. Um, but camp obviously changed that. Rousier was like one of our best defenders in camp. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's clear to everybody who's going to be the primary corner for us this year. But that's still a big loss to have Waynes. It's only one game, or not even a game. Like, it's questionable. We don't know. We have no clue what disparity is. But if he is out for a game, it's... I mean, we've seen what Phillips is. We've seen what he's been able to do. He's a pretty, he's a pretty big gambler. It's either burn, get burnt, or, you know, get an interception. That's like the type of play style he plays with. Uh, I think we'll be able to survive the game without Wayne. Like, it's not like we're losing, you know, Richard Sherman or something, or like Jalen Ramsey. I don't think it's going to be that big of a loss unless the injury time is like over a long period of time, which right now we still don't have any clue what the timetable is going to be. I think so far this Wayne deal has just been a disaster, which I know sounds like an overreaction considering, you know, he's still my play and all that. But, I mean, three-year deal. He didn't play all of week one. I mean, a year one, my bad. And now he's he's having these nagging injury issues again. This is a different hamstring, voice is cracked, from the one that he hurt like three days ago. Tweaks on both hamstrings within like a three-day window, it's just not an ideal situation, especially with a guy that missed all of last year. And for the money we've been paying him, we really can't afford for him to miss any games, you know. Well, many games, I should say. It's not like he, you know, played like 13 games last year and now he's having like a little in-and-out injury issue. He missed the entire season. He did not play a single snap in stripes last year. And now already we're having these hamstring tweak issues, I guess we can call them. And it, it's just it's just not good. Because, I mean, A.J. Green, I forgot what year it was. They all blend together at some point. But he had a hamstring tweak. Might have been 2018. I don't know about that. Don't quote me on that. But it was when you had a hamstring tweak. And what started as a tweak, it kept getting worse and worse, and then he got shut down for the season. And I just really hope this isn't the same thing. Because I'm not going to say secondary relies on Trey Waynes because it doesn't. We have talent up and down the secondary. But for him to be there on the other side of Cheeto as a good and solid cornerback too, and he's probably our best ball-hawking corner in terms of picking the ball off, we need him on no, I'd, I'd say that's definitely there is Phillips. Uh, I'd give it to Waynes. But we need him on the field. He's got to be there. You know, whether you think, you know, it's Phillips is our best ball hawker or Waynes, whatever, he's still our second best corner, well, second best outside corner at the end of the day. He's got to be on the field. He, it, he just has to. With all the money we're paying him, he's got to be there. And for what it's worth, I think Trey Waynes has been pretty solid throughout this 
um, training camp. You know, like Nathan said, Shadobe Wuzier has pretty much inserted himself as the cornerback one, the most talented corner. Uh, he's had a lot of really good battles against all the wide receivers throughout training camp. But Trey Waynes has been a pretty good complementary second option on the other side from Shadobe Wuzier. And of course, Waynes does add something the Bengals really haven't had in quite a while, and that is considerable size to the cornerback position. Um, of course, last year, we're playing with William Jackson and Darius Phillips throughout the majority of the season. You were kind of stuck with a couple of really shorter guys, and Darius Phillips ended up being matched up with guys like Mike Williams, who just completely outsized him and overall beat him on a lot of passes because of his size. I think with Waynes, he really does offer you a bigger frame, I think more speed as well, and I think just gives you a guy that can match against these bigger wide receivers like Chase Claypool, um, Sammy Watkins, these guys that are going to be in AFC North. You're going to have a couple of really key opponents that Sammy Wa- or that uh, Trey Waynes, excuse me, can really match up well against, and I think that's going to be very good for Cincinnati because. David Wuzier can go on the other side, go up against the Odell Beckham Juniors, the Marcus Browns of the world, where he can actually match up perfectly with a guy that's similar to his size. So I think Cincinnati's put themselves in a good position um, when it comes to their wide or cornerbacks. I just think that Wayne needs to stay healthy, and I hope that he's ready for week one because they will need him to match up against possibly either Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson, who are going to be a very dangerous one-two punch for the Minnesota Vikings. So it, it will be a... a um, uh, an injury that we should certainly monitor, and hopefully next podcast we have some good news, and hopefully he can get back to be fully healthy. But uh, like like I mentioned, though, you know, it, or like Nathan mentioned, I think um, with Trey Wayne's gone, you know, Darius Phillips is going to be a primary replacement, either him or Eli Apple. You're going to have a couple of guys in the back that I think you can pretty tr- can pretty well trust to come in and play meaningful snaps and be, still be effective. You know, Darius Phillips, of course, was one of the main starters last year when healthy because of the loss of Trey Wayne's through the, the entire 2020 season and he you know he played up and down he wasn't fantastic but he wasn't terrible at all either um he definitely gives you upside when it comes to turnovers and interceptions you can definitely rely on him to be a good cornerback for be a good replacement if Trey wins or another corner were to go down in the future so you know i'm pretty confident with the depth in this wider in this cornerback core um I mentioned this, I believe, in one of the previous podcasts. Jalen Davis has completely taken over that cornerback six position, and is very, I'm very excited about that because I think he could be a very reliable slot back up to Mike Hilton, possibly, and that does allow Darius Phillips to really uh, focus on being on the outside with possibly Eli Apple as well. So I, I think this cornerback room could be okay, um, even with a guy like Trey Wayne out. Uh, as long as you have con- the good depth around them and they can play well. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. I, I think this is um, something that we have uh, kind of stayed on top of quite a while, and, and that is the right guard position. Um, I, I think we've all kind of figured out by now Xavier Suofilo is expected to be the starter for the preseason week three game. And Zach Taylor did him say himself that the preseason week three starters on the offensive line will be the starters week one. So that does mean Xavier Suofilo is a starter for week one. Uh, I did report this back several weeks ago that Xavier Suofilo was the leader in the clubhouse. Um, I, I know a lot of people started to believe, as well as I did, honestly, uh, a, a lot of us started to believe maybe Michael Jordan had a chance. He played with the first team a lot throughout uh, training camp and the preseason uh, week one game, um, but they are going to give the job to Xavier Suofilo, which I think is extreme, really the right move. I, I really don't think they should have gave it to anyone else. Um, he was a veteran. I think Zach Taylor kind of 
uh, pointed out that he he already knows David Suofilo is what he is, and so he really didn't have to see him play with the first team to know that he can be the starter. Uh, I think he just wanted to try out some of the younger guys like Carmen, uh, Deontay Smith, and um, Michael Jordan to see if they can earn the job, and I don't think any of them really did to a certain extent. Deontay Smith had a really good preseason. Uh, I think Michael Jordan was pretty solid as well, but you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious right now that David Suofilo is probably still the best in that group. Yeah, I think I think it's the it's even if you think maybe if you if you're Zach Taylor and you've been watching this these practices and you've watched the preseason maybe you think uh, maybe Carmen's a little bit better than uh, Xavier maybe 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 Smith's a little bit better than Xavier Suofilo maybe Jordan's a little better than Xavier Suofilo. I'm not I'm not actually saying they're better because I don't think they are I still think Xavier to a few of the best out of them. But the point I'm getting at is even if you do think one of those is better than him, I think it's better to go with the veteran because, you know, with Joe coming back from injury, we don't really have the luxury, I think is the best way to word it. We don't really have the luxury of plugging in these young guys and having them, you know, go through these inexperienced mistakes and whatnot. We don't, we don't have the luxury to deal with rookie mistakes and whatnot. Obviously, Jordan's not a rookie, but still relatively young and inexperienced. Well, not an inexperienced, but still relatively young. Um, I think, I just don't think we really have the luxury to play around with youth. I think it's the right move to start out with the veteran, get, get a solid front, get a consistent front, and as the season progresses, as Coleman maybe starts improving, as maybe Smith starts improving, the MJ starts improving, then you start plugging in, then you start molding your offensive line. Get a strong front out there, and then you can start tweaking it. Then you can start adding in these young pieces who want to develop. I think you got to start off strong, though, and start off with the consistency of having the veteran presence of uh, Xavier Stewart and when speaking of Michael Jordan, though, I think I think it's pretty a pretty popular thing to not like Michael Jordan among among big, obviously him being the one responsible. Uh, Joe Burrow getting hurt, um, but despite you know the pretty wide uh, hatred, I get well not necessarily hatred, but the, the Pretty widespread dislike among the Bengals community with um, Michael Jordan. I think it's worth noting in preseason in camp, looked way better than he did at any other point in his career. He has made a jump, maybe not like a colossal jump or anything, but the improvement is there. He has made a jump and he is improving. I think that's a great, I think that would be an interesting story arc, a pretty interesting. I think that'd be cool. I'm, I want him to succeed. I think that'd be really cool. Not a, well, pretty cool in just a good story. Someone to allow something. Okay, not necessarily allow. Be responsible for something bad and be able to fight his way back up. Prove a ton to earn back a starting spot. And just, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does well. I think after 
it kind of set in for us that Carmen wasn't going to be the starter. Because when we drafted Carmen, I assumed, okay, we need line, second round pick, he's going to start. But after we all got the realization that, hey, Carmen's just not going to start, and Michael Jordan was on the first team, I said even back then that I don't think that was a, hey, Michael Jordan's in the, what's the word I'm use, I should use here? The lead role, I should say, for the starting spot. I think it was just, I look at, you know, Carmen, Deontay Smith, Michael Jordan, and Xavier Suofilo. We know what we were getting the most out of Xavier Suofilo. However, I will say, Jordan's progression has been very interesting to me. Interesting. I agree, Nathan. I think that's the Frank Pollock effect. I think Jordan... I don't know what it was for Jordan last year. He just couldn't do anything right. It was a bad situation. He had Bobby Hart next to him. Jordan wasn't good. The offensive line coach wasn't good. Jordan played left guard. What'd you say? He played left guard last year. He was not next to Bobby Hart. He was... Today is just not my night. But, um... I think Polak has really helped him. Obviously, it's preseason, but he was running first team. What he's done has been against first team guys. And, you know, it's always preseason. So, regardless of the circumstance, you can't look too much into things. But I think it is very interesting. I think it's worth noting. I think if Suafield does go down or something, because with the Bengals, that just tends to happen around these parts. You know, maybe Michael Jordan steps in, and I think then you have a very interesting conversation about, you know, what happens. It's going to be an interesting battle for sure. You know, I still definitely have faith in the rookies, both Deontay Smith and Jackson Carmen. I think they do definitely have potential to still be future stars with this team. And, you know, uh, hearing on the hear that podcast, growling about Paul Denner Jr. and Jay Morrison, they did predict that at right guard, Deontay Smith is very likely to still have more starts than any other guy on the roster at right guard. So there is a very likely chance that we might see a guy like Deontay Smith earn that job later on. Uh, if anything were to happen, there were a couple of rumors going around that maybe Xavier Suafito would be a surprise cut candidate. Um, I think at this point it is safe to say that he is definitely going to be on the roster. And, you know, I think with an offensive line, if Xavier Suafito is your worst guy, and I think for this offensive line, he pretty clearly is. I think you're in solid shape because he is not by any means a terrible offensive lineman. He's not going to hurt your offensive line by any means, but he's also not going to boost it in any way, which is normally what you would see in, an, in a fifth offensive lineman, right? So I, I'm pretty confident uh, that this offensive line can protect Burrow somewhat. Of course, it will be a little hard as uh, as the Vikings did sign um, former Viking Everson Griffin back to a deal. So you're going to have Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter reuniting um, as a two-edge rushing uh, tandem duo uh, this uh, on week one. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But I do think Riley Reef and Jonah Williams both had fantastic camp so far. I am really excited about both. James Rapine actually shouted out Jonah Williams saying that he might actually be a lot better than what we are thinking he can be. Um, and that really does excite me. And of course, Riley Reef has been Mr. Consistent. I think he's just really technically sound. And, you know, we're so used to seeing a lot of mistakes made by Bobby Hart at right tackle. I think Riley Reef really just has a technique down to where he's not going to make those same mistakes. And I'm just, I, I just think that. You know, we, we talked about it earlier, Panay Sewell. Uh, I think this offensive line has taken a step forward despite not drafting Panay Sewell. And I'm, I'm really excited to see if the rookies can pan out, if you can get a couple of these guys in the back half of the roster to do really well. I think this can be a solid offensive line for the future. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, right tackle is still a question for the Gears. We don't know how long. It's only one-year deal right now. It's set up a two-year, two but that's, uh, I forget what, a void year? What is that called? Uh, uh, we set it up at the two-year to split the uh, gap. He's only on one um to call. Like, like, um. It's a void year. Yeah, okay, so it was void I was right the first time, you just didn't confirm until I, okay, whatever. Anyways, uh, he's only here for a while, and we don't know if he's coming back. We don't, don't know, know if he's leaving. You know, there's that's, that's the point. There's question marks around uh, Jonah. You know, he's getting, he's gotten a ton of buzz this, this, uh, I mean, this, uh, offseason, the camp, B season. He's good, good. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's easily the best player on, I mean, best lineman on the team. Uh, he's the cornerstone. Not much more to be said. And then, you know, with Trey Hopkins, he's, he's solid. He's a good, Spot and then the guard. The guards are probably the weakest parts of the team now, but they're also the most intriguing parts for the future because they're set up with yeah, we have Carmen and we have Michael Jordan who's improved a ton, and then we have Deontay Smith who a lot of people were upset that he played guard. I I I knew upset that he was playing guard when we first converted as they felt like we needed that presence uh, for the future at right tackle. So they thought we, we, we had always been planning to use Carmen as a guard. I think a lot of people were hoping Smith could be event, the eventual successor at right tackle once we first got. That's not the case. I think he's better at left guard. Not necessarily left guard. Guard, I think he's better got more potential. His skill set actually fits with being guard. You know, his frame with, with very long arms might suggest he's more of a I think he's best at guard and he's is, is definitely showed that in preseason. And then we also have Trey Hill who probably won't make the roster, but he'll probably hang around on the practice squad. And maybe in the future, he'll, he'll be great. He's got a Potential. He's, just, he's not there yet, but he's got the potential to be a really good player. So I think it's very intriguing just with the interior we have, the interior youth we have that could be really in the future. I think there is a lot to watch on this line from week three all the way to like years in the future. Like, Trey Hopkins is going to be playing, and we haven't seen Hopkins twice since he got hurt. So that's automatically, boom, you know, that's something to really watch there. Because Hopkins, I'm not going to say he's a glue of the hosts together, but I feel like out of the five options, I would feel the least comfortable with Hopkins going down. Well, that's a lie. If, if Jonah went down, I'd be very concerned. But if Hopkins went down, I just I, I just don't know if I could trust Billy Price. And like you said, onwards in the future, Carmen's there, Deontay Smith is there, Michael Jordan's there, Jonah's there. So there's a lot of young guys here that we have invested heavily into because these are the guys for our future. You know, going forward, we need these guys to step up for our line. The line has not been good in 
like, like what, three years, four years, we haven't had a good offensive line. So it's time for stuff to start changing. And not only just for now with, like we said, Jonah Williams, but going forward with guys like Carmen and Smith, those are guys that are going to, you know, decide, okay, are we going to have another bad line for five years? Are we going to, like, finally start fixing things up and finally have a good line again? So there's a lot to watch from every single week in every position. And it's just so intriguing. And I'm excited for, for how it all plays out because I think we have something cooking here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even with Billy Price, I think, you know, I, I do think we have to give him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. He has had a very good uh, preseason as well. And I, I think this Frank Pollock uh, new system with the offensive line is going to do wonders. And and especially since Billy Price was drafted by Frank Pollock, of course, I think he might be one of the best benefiters of it. So uh, he did perform pretty well in the preseason games against the first teams. You know, he still didn't allow a sack or I don't think he even allowed a pressure against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Washington uh, football team's defense. So I, I will give credit to him because he's played against, faced against some really tough defensive tackles and has done well so far. So, um, you know, maybe he's not the uh, exactly what you want. But if Hopkins were to go down, I'm not entirely sure that Billy Price would be a huge step down from Hopkins. So I am pretty confident with almost the entirety uh, of the offensive line. Um, I do think there is a bit of question about the depth at tackle. Uh, Fred Johnson has been solid as a backup left tackle. Uh, right tackle, he's been a little bit poor. Um, but Isaiah Prince has also stepped up and has done really well. And I think he is really contending for that backup swing tackle spot with Fred Johnson. I still lean towards Johnson, but Prince is still definitely has a shot there. Um, we'll have to see with the roster cuts when that happens. And, and I think uh, in the next podcast we do after the after the preseason recap, I would like to do a 50-man roster prediction with you guys to see what you guys think about that. But let's go ahead and move on to the next topic, and that really uh, just mainly stays along the lines of something that I heard recently. Uh, I'm not too sure if you guys heard this, but according to what I've heard, Jordan Evans has been the primary linebacker playing alongside Logan Wilson in the nickel package. And I think that this is something that might be pretty significant, at least in my eyes, because I, I really want to – know why Jermaine Pratt and um, King Davis Gaither are not getting those snaps because you really would think that in the nickel package on the defensive side of the ball uh, that you would likely see either King Davis Gaither or Jermaine Pratt getting those snaps as they really are the primary backup to linebackers alongside uh, Wilson are, are probably going to be the guys playing in the base. But with Jordan Evans now getting a lot of the snaps, it's likely we still have the longest tenured linebacker playing considerable snaps with the team. What are you guys' thoughts on Evans? And I've heard he's had a really good camp so far. Um, Hopefully he's going to live up to the hype of what his camp has been because, you know, throughout his years, he's, he's pretty consistently been one of the one of the worst coverage linebackers on our team, and being a nickel, you know, it, it puts more of an emphasis on being able to cover it. You're, you're going to have to be a little bit better at coverage to be able to use more lighter formations, more pass-heavy type of defensive formations. Um, I, I think it's not necessarily concerned, but it's a little... Eye-opening. I think is the best way to describe why a team isn't getting these type snaps. I think we all were assuming, you know, he'd take it this year and be kind of this not necessarily safety hybrid, but you know, kind of this this athletic freak, almost like he'd be very versatile, very good in coverage, 
maybe here and there line up in the nickel, like not the formation nickel, but like slot and line up in the spot against your receiver. Um, the may- um, not necessarily receiver, maybe tight end, and then maybe even line up rush the pass. Or you know, I think we're I think the great majority of us were expecting a leap, and again, not necessarily kind of eye opening as to why he's not getting uh, you know nickel snaps. Maybe Evan has improved that much, and obviously that and I hope he. But, again, a little bit eye-opening. It really just confuses me more than anything else. Because I don't think he's best fit for that spot or any spot on our starting linebacking court in general. But there's a lot of youth there. The only reason I could think of something like that being the case where he would slide in that spot would be he's technically... The oldest guy in the court, which isn't saying much, but, you know, you take what you have and you run with it. So that's really, really the only thing I can think of. It's just really weird to me. Because going into camp or just the whole offseason in general, that's not something I would picture. So it's really hard to get a gauge on. Because I would love to know what goes into that thought process. Is it because he's actually, you know, the best fit guy for the spot? Because he's the oldest and he can, you know, maybe help some young guys out. But what is it? Because I have no idea what the thought process is here. But, I mean, if they're seeing something different in camp and practice that we aren't seeing, then go make a decision off that. Who are? I just don't understand it personally. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that it's just questionable to me. I, I have heard that, you know, Joe Gerberi said it, and, and I think that it, it certainly would be a good idea. If Akeem Davis Gates are maybe taking some edge rusher snaps, I would definitely like that idea. I think he could be a possible guy off the edge that can be pretty dangerous. Um, and if that's the case, that does make a little bit of sense since Jermaine Pratt is technically not exactly built for the nickel package. He really is primarily a base guy due to his run-stopping capabilities. So I think that would make a lot of sense if that's what they're going towards. But um, I've also heard Marcus Bailey has really impressed, and I really would have liked the idea of maybe seeing Marcus Bailey get his shot on the nickel. Um, we'll have to see how it works out, though. I, I do think Jordan Evans can be a solid player for this team if he's able to, uh, if, he, if he is actually performing well right now in the preseason. So that's just something we'll have to wait and see, I guess, eventually. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to another topic, though, and, and something that's a little bit smaller, but I think still pretty important is the fact that um, I think Zach Taylor's pretty much confirmed it by now, and I've heard it from a lot of people as well. Uh, Darius Phillips will be the starting punt returner week one. What are you guys' thoughts on this? Um, I know we've been back and forth a lot on the wide receiver conversations, and now that we know that Trent Taylor is not the starting punt returner for the team, do you think there's all of a sudden a chance that he might not make the roster? Um, well, for, for Darius Phillips, like, it was 2000. 18, yeah, I I don't remember. I, I I don't think he was the starter, but he did um not returning reps. Uh, and he was he was just great. He was great. And then I don't I don't know how to really describe. He's just you know with Erickson, Erickson, and also in preseason what we've seen from Trent Taylor. It's just like. They fair catch everything, you know? It's They don't literally fair catch everything. But when you're watching the game, it feels like they're fair catching everything. I don't remember. 
in in the time that he that Darius Phillips did take um that he did take punt return uh, reps. I don't think I ever remember him taking a fair catch. Obviously, with within reason. If if there's somebody right in front of him, he, he, he takes fair catches. I'm talking about there's there's times with Erickson, there'd be ton of grass, be ton of open field, and he'd fair catch it. And sometimes he'd fair catch it within the 15 yard line, within the 10 yard line. He was just inconsistent and I, I I like um I just like Darius Phillips' ability a lot more. Is is he's more aggressive with it, I think is the best way to explain it. And I like that. I like that aggressiveness in returning. Um it's it's one of the, the aspects of uh Brandon Wilson's game too that makes him such a great uh cake returner. Just the the just being aggressive with it and being being Taking those risks, you know, I just, I feel like Darius Phillips is probably the best we could have gone. Um, anyways, what was the second part of the question? I didn't hear that. I was asking if you think this will affect Trent Taylor's chances of making the roster. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it definitely does, because Trent Taylor, he, he, what he had going for him was he was going to be the punt returner. And he had a little bit of receiving ability too. So far, it seems, according to different reports and from what we've seen and preseason performances, Trent Irwin has passed him. Trent Irwin is higher on the depth chart than Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor, in order to make the roster now, when you look, when you look at the roster, we can either carry six receivers or seven receivers. I think it's more likely we carry carry seven, or we could carry six. The first four, we all know who that is. We got Chase through Tate. You know the top four. Five, I think, is going to be a receiving, a good, a, a good receiving backup. Last, Erickson was the one who fit that mold. As much as we all didn't like Erickson, he was a pretty consistent and reliable receiver. He wasn't great or anything, but he was, he was reliable. Um, so I think that that fifth receiver is going to be just a good receiver. The sixth receiver is going to be, it's going to be either Trenton, I mean, not Trenton, excuse me. It's either going to be Mike Thomas or Stanley Morgan. They're competing to be the special teamer wide receiver. Darren Simmons always carries a special teamer with the wide receiver. He carries special teamers in different parts of the roster. But he always carries one with the wide receiver. One of the big ones we've had for for, for several years in years past is Cody Core. A lot of fans, that, a lot of people didn't like him, but he was a good special teamer. Even though he was a terrible receiver, he kept him on the roster for so long for that reason. There, the so Stanley and Mike Thomas are going to compete for that role. And then the final receiver, which we might not carry, the seventh receiver. Again, might not carry. That is going to be another receiver. First four is Chase through Tate. The sixth, right now, Owen is winning that. The, uh, I mean, the fifth, Trent Owen's winning that. The sixth is either going to be Morgan or Thomas. I, I hope they carry Thomas, but for some reason it feels like they, they like Thomas. I mean, I hope they carry Morgan, but for some reason it feels like they like Thomas more. Um, 
the seven, just give me the next best receiver. So, the, you, or, I mean, the whoever gets beat out is the sixth receiver. So, if, so if Thomas makes the the special team spot, Morgan could make that seven if he ends up being the next best receiver. Um, Taylor could make that. Um, Scotty Washington can make that. There's a whole bunch of people competing for that spot. I think now that Trent Taylor doesn't have his job security with punt returner, doesn't have that extra step with him, he's he's he has to compete for that. He has to beat out other people as the next best. So far, based off of what we've seen in camp, based off preseason, he's not even close to being the seventh best receiver. I'd say Morgan is a better receiver. Out of obviously chasing all them are better. I'm excluding them. I'm talking about the the bubble guy. Morgan is better. I think Thomas is better. I think Scotty Washington is better. I think there are a lot of better receivers on the team than Taylor. So I think he's on an uphill battle now that he's lost the punt returner role. I think last year there was a list of public enemies, and Erickson was right up there with Bobby Hart and LaShawn Sims. He drove me crazy last year with a complete lack of aggression on the punt returns. Like you said, Darius Phillips is so much more aggressive, and I think he's faster and all that. I think he's just a better punt returner. Now, the second question is where it gets really interesting. Going into camp in preseason, I had thought Trent Taylor was Almost as close you can get to a lock without being a lock. Solely because of his job returning punts and all we heard about how good he was at it. Now, without that, I agree with everything Nathan said about how he's nowhere close to the seventh best receiver. Everybody he named, Scotty Washington, Morgan, all that, I would take him over Irwin, I'm not Irwin, uh, Trent Taylor as just a wide receiver. So I think this takes him from a really good shot to almost no shot whatsoever. I don't know if he can show us what we need for him to make the team in such a short time span. Because we got a few more practices after the next preseason game, and you have the next preseason game. And that's it. Is he showing me enough to put him up on Mike Thomas, Stanley Morgan, Trent Irwin, uh, Scotty Washington? I don't think he is. So I think this takes him from, you know, right there, being right on the cups, and being a starting pro return to, he's not on the team. He's not going to make it. It's just really interesting to me how quickly this turned into, he's easily on the team to, nah, he's not going to make it. I think it's just really dependent on whether or not we can see Trent Taylor. I think this week three preseason game is going to be huge for Taylor. He really needs to show out and prove that he can be an effective guy. Because if we see yet again Trent Taylor and Stanley Morgan have big games, and I think that pretty much is – Likely might be the end of the Trent Taylor experiment here in Cincinnati, but like I said, we'll have to see. It's, it's certainly possible they have faith in Taylor. Maybe they want to choose to uh, take both him and Irwin on the roster. Um, Nathan mentioned that you know there's still a battle between Stanley Morgan and Mike Thomas, and and while I certainly agree, the, the closer and closer we get to the preseason week three game, it really does feel like Mike Thomas's spot is pretty well secured. Um, but I do think there's certainly a possibility that there's a wide receiver seven, and I think at that point you're really looking towards Stanley Morgan against 
Trent Taylor for that spot. And that's where it really needs to be fought for, at least in my eyes. Um, but there's also certainly a possibility that running back four might be taken. So there's a lot of different, uh, I think, areas that come into play with that. But, um, you know, let's, we're going to throw up this podcast a little bit. It's been very long and a lot of good conversations. So let's get a quick score prediction for the preseason week three game. Uh, I believe the closest one last time was, I think, me, because we all picked the Bengals to win and I picked the, um, closest score, I want to say. So it, let's get some. Sorry, what is it? it? It was definitely you. I think you had the exact score, just reverse team. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I said. So I think that's. I think I got the closest. So I'll take the dub on that one. But uh, where's you guys' score predictions for this game? Uh, let me hear it. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, twenty to zero. Bengals win because we're smoking on the Dolphins' back. Oh, Mike wow. Thomas gonna go for three touchdowns. So, twenty points with three touchdowns. Who's missing the PAT? Um, it's gonna be Cybert. They're gonna throw in Cybert, and he's gonna miss. <laughs> Confirming, okay. I mean, uh, uh, sealing the deal with uh, Edmund, even though we all knew it was for some reason they're still kicking competition. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um. I'm going to go, let me get a 17 to 9 prediction. I'm going to get Freaky D. We're going to go with a 17 to 9. And I'm calling it now. Joe Burrow will eat a touchdown drive. It's going to happen. I really like the prediction, actually. <laughs> 17 to 9 might have been where I was going to go. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to, it's to be a little bit different for me then. I'll go 16 to 13 Bengals win. Uh, <laughs> One off can, the 17 to 13 prediction I had <laughs> last week. Can but. you imagine how mad uh, Dolphins fans would be? You know, with everything that transpired last year, with uh, you know Mike Thomas having those two hits on punt returns, and you know all the Dolphins fans getting mad. Could, could you imagine what the reaction would be if Mike Thomas did actually go for three times, even even though it's just preseason? I can I can just imagine. You know, I'll, I'll change my score a little bit. I'll make it sixteen to fourteen instead. Be a little, a little bit different from last week. I'll, I'll say the Bengals either make a bunch of field goals or I don't know, do something <laughs> or miss a mix the extra point, make a field goal. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, I'll go sixteen to fourteen for my final score. Uh, what are you guys' game MVPs? I'm gonna go ahead and go first. I'm gonna try to think of someone. I'm going to go with. Give me Trenton or one to win the MVP uh, this game. Well, if Mike Thomas is scoring three touchdowns, then Mike Thomas is the MVP. Let me go. Uh, I'm gonna get a little bold. I'll go Scotty Washington, player of the game. I'll get a little bold. Ooh, ooh. Okay, we'll get a little spicy up in here tonight. We'll get a little spicy. Three wide receivers and Scotty Washington, underrated uh, pick there. All right, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of the Stripe Pipe All Day podcast. Make sure you go follow us on our socials. Find me on Instagram at Stripe Pipe Bangle, or excuse me, Stripe Pipe Cincy on Instagram, as well as BlakeJude714 on Twitter. Uh, go find Nathan on Instagram at Cincy underscore Bengals underscore daily. Make sure you follow Will on Instagram as well at Hooday underscore all day and at William C. James 23 on Twitter. Also, go follow our Twitter podcast. Our, our our podcast Twitter. Uh, what's the handle of that? Do you remember? Stripe Hype Pod. 
Uh, you go follow the Stripe Hype Pod on Twitter as well. And also go check out our website, BengalsInsiders.com, uh, and stay up to date with everything that's going on around all of our social medias. Thank you guys so much for listening, and everyone have a wonderful day.